Hey, what's up? This is Gustavo. Every Friday, we hand off the mic to one of my awesome LA Times colleagues, and today we welcome Curtis Lee. He's one of our national correspondents, and he's covered everything from the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis to how the infamous Tuskegee syphilis study stirs wariness in the black community over COVID-19 vaccines. Today, he takes us to Milwaukee, a proud city that's facing a historic rise in violence. On a hot day this summer, I attended a funeral service in Milwaukee. There were dozens of people gathered in a church. They were gathered to mourn the death of 24-year-old Jeremiah Hughes, who was shot and killed in June while mowing a lawn. Everyone wore a shade of green, from light to neon. It was Hughes' favorite color. Hughes himself laid in an open emerald green casket. Most mourners were young, in their 20s, a clear reminder of Hughes' short life. Almost everyone was black. They lined up against the side wall and one by one, or in pairs, approached the open casket, pausing to say a final goodbye to their friend, brother, uncle, cousin, son. Stephen Tipton, the pastor, approached the pulpit and began to speak. There need to be somebody in the family, and maybe you. Maybe that's why God got you here. You may be the family representative that go back and pray for your family. That, Lord, I don't want to go back to another funeral. Lord, I don't want to go see my, my family, my son, my brother, my sister with bullet holes in their body. Lord, I want to change. Velvet rope surrounded his casket to prevent people from grabbing for him in their despair. Pastor Tipton spoke again, this time pleading with the crowd. Let us not let another family member die when we meet at a funeral instead of meeting at someone's house and celebrating the graduation, celebrating the business, celebrate someone going to college, celebrate someone getting their license, celebrate someone opening a new business. We don't need no more funeral gatherings. We need to come together as a family and support one another. There are no clear answers in the killing of Hughes. Police have released only basic details from their investigation. The weapon was a long gun, the mode of retaliation, and the two suspects were acquaintances of Hughes who had no criminal record. His family says they believe Hughes was not the intended target. Instead, they think the shooter was aiming at a young man who worked for Hughes on landscaping jobs and had a feud with the suspects. But the gunfire hit Hughes, adding his name to a list of young black men shot and killed on the north side of Milwaukee. Hughes was the 78th person killed in the city this year. Police in Milwaukee released the names of the victims from Wednesday's shooting at a landmark brewery. Over the 4th of July weekend, officers recovered 244 illegal guns, making 86 arrests for illegal gun possession. It's the insanity of people solving their problems with guns. It is just completely insane, and we're seeing way too much of that in this community this year. President Biden notes after a drop in crime when the pandemic began, violence in America is now on the rise and forecast to get worse. In front of that assisting living home was the worst nightmare I've seen in my life. I saw body tape, I saw everything. It, it's like a movie, like, like a mass murder just happened in our town. Milwaukee is in the grips of the worst violence in its modern history. There were 189 killings here last year. That's almost twice as many as the year before and the most ever recorded. And it's not just Milwaukee. 
A recent study from the nonprofit Council on Criminal Justice looked at 34 cities across the country and found that 29 had more homicides last year than in 2019. The uniformity of the nationwide rise has launched multiple theories about what is driving it. Nearly all center on the pandemic and the mass movement against police brutality and racism, which changed policing and the relationship between law enforcement and communities where violence has long been concentrated. Did a society on edge with schools closed, social programs shut down, and people cramped up at home simply become more violent? Were more people carrying guns? Did police retreat in a way that emboldened criminals? We'll be right back. Inside a conference room in the homicide unit of the Milwaukee Police Department, notes scrolled in green marker on a whiteboard offered details about a recent Northside slaying. It was among dozens of active cases. At the front of the room was Detective Mike Washington. This is a draining job, you know, mentally and, you know, emotionally as well. Washington, who was Black, had been a police officer for over 20 years and a detective for seven. As much as he disliked delivering tragic news to families, Washington found his work deeply meaningful. Then, in 2017, it became deeply personal. His sister, Sharita, was murdered by her husband, a fellow police officer, who then turned the gun on himself. From then on, Washington began counting down the days until July 29, 2021, when he would be eligible for retirement. The pandemic year became his final test. What I've noticed from the time that when I started on this job and now is that the culture has changed towards and the culture and the respect level has changed towards everybody. But I think the respect level has changed from citizens out as well. Like much of his unit, he eventually got COVID-19 and then recovered. Then there were coronavirus precautions, such as the elimination of live lineups from which witnesses identify suspects, making it harder to clear cases. More significantly, the rising caseload began to overwhelm the unit. In 2019, there was an average of eight homicides a month. The first sign of an uptick came in February 2020, before most people were paying any attention to the coronavirus. But the upward trend didn't become clear until that July, amid nationwide protests after a Minneapolis police officer murdered George Floyd. As in many cities, that summer and fall in Milwaukee grew much more deadly. In many ways, the violence of the last 18 months has followed familiar patterns. In a city that is 40% Black, most of the victims are Black men, as are the perpetrators who usually kill with handguns. Washington and the unit noticed that more killings seemed to involve people under 18. That aligned with schools being shut. Still, it could only account for a small portion of the overall rise in homicides. Much clearer was that more people were carrying guns. Milwaukee police confiscated more than 3,000 last year during traffic stops and domestic dispute calls, an 18% increase from the year before. And officers have continued to recover guns at the same pace this year. Another possible factor was the protests. Milwaukee was no stranger to police violence. Many people were still angry that an officer who killed an unarmed Black man in 2014 was never charged with the crime. And the national reckoning seemed to worsen tensions between police and the communities they were sworn to protect. One of four Black detectives in the homicide unit, 
Washington would listen as some of his white colleagues complained about the demonstrators. Uh, it's real interesting that, you know, last year during the pandemic, all the civil uh, unrest and with the people wanting to defund the police. And does there a reform that needs to be done? Absolutely. But there's no way that, you know, we can exist in the world in, in, in America without police. And the community needs to see that. And there's a whole lot of trust that needs to be built back up in order for communities to start believing and working with police. But that's what I believe needs to happen. Washington understood how they felt. He believed most police were honorable, but he also believed some lacked empathy. Black officers now make up 18% of the force, which has downsized considerably over the last two decades and become much less diverse. The homicide unit has shrunk to two dozen detectives. At times, Washington felt wedged between two worlds. He was a veteran cop, but he was also a Black man from the community, which helped him defuse tense situations at homicide scenes where investigation protocols meant that bodies sometimes remained in the street for hours, even if it upset families. Where we run into an issue is that when we're trying to investigate homicides and we're talking to close friends, family members, and that cooperation level just isn't there for reasons exactly like that. Huh. They'd rather handle it themselves. And then there's also this no snitching hmm. culture. And even amongst, you know, friends, that, that exists. When his retirement date finally arrived, Washington was ready to go. Too often he had seen the bodies of Black men curled up on the streets. Too often he'd interrogated other Black men about the deaths. His department gave him a signed poster board commemorating his service and a gold watch. On his final shift, he sat alone at his desk near a window where boxes were stacked with his belongings. All around him, detectives typed away at keyboards, trying to reduce the backlog. Capitol Drive is a bustling east-west thoroughfare on the north side of Milwaukee. It's a predominantly Black area where deep-rooted racism has led to neglect and poverty. Between the gas stations and corner stores, there are massive Victorian homes built in the early 1900s. Some of the houses were run down. Peeling paint, brown lawns, trash was strewn about. In one zip code here, 53206, 42% of people now live below the poverty line among the highest rates in Wisconsin. Playgrounds stood empty. Kids instead played in the front yards of their homes under the watchful eye of their parents. It's where I met Michelle Pitts. She's a funeral home director who is from the north side. The box, can I put this right here? Put it right here, because it's a little easier. In this past year, have you seen an, an uptick in violence? Oh God, yes, extremely. Last fall, I met Pitts while reporting on the 2020 election. Back then, she was overwhelmed by all the deaths due to COVID-19 and said she was supporting then-presidential candidate Joe Biden because she was hopeful that he'd steer the country in a different direction. But she's now deeply concerned about the violence. You know, am I in Baghdad somewhere, Iraq? You know, where am I? 
No, this is America. As they say, welcome to America. Is it still a welcoming place? There's been so many changes in America. I don't know. I don't understand. Yeah. I don't understand, you know, the, the violence that goes on in our community. I do not. It, it's, it's, I don't understand it. I just don't. Pitts' family, like many others, settled here in the 1950s after leaving the South, part of the great migration of African-Americans fleeing racial terrorism. The neighborhood was the only option for most Black families because deeds excluded them from renting in other parts of the city, redlining by banks, which automatically disqualified people in Black neighborhoods from taking out mortgages, made home ownership a distant fantasy. Residents were also denied adequate health care and education. When Interstate 43 was constructed through the area in the 1960s, businesses were demolished. Despite the racism, some Black residents, like Pitts, recall that the neighborhood felt safe, a place where killings were so rare that safety never crossed her mind. As in many cities, drugs in the 1980s quickly changed that. The age range has changed. We used to be right smack in the middle where it's our young adults in their 20s, early 30s, but now it's our babies. There are babies, and a lot of our babies are committing the crime. When I say babies, some of them are, you know, 15, 16, 17 years old. Many homicides have occurred near her funeral home. It's almost like we're in a crackerjack box. Everybody is, is compact all together. And so if you look at one homicide, it probably the other one is maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes away. You can stand in the, in, in the middle of a circle and get to every last location in less than 15 minutes. On March 17, 2020, just as the pandemic lockdowns were beginning, police officers followed reports of gunshots to Washington Park. They followed a trail of blood to a tiny lagoon. Winfred Jackson Jr.'s body was floating in the water. He had been shot multiple times. His older sister, Jalissa Martin, struggled to make sense of it all. Her little brother was 18 years old, preparing to get his GED at an alternative high school. He dreamed of joining the Army of leaving Milwaukee and seeing the world. My brother was a good person. Me and him was 12 years apart. And uh, my brother loved to go to church. He was very family-oriented. Um, he loved basketball. He loved to play football. He used to race. In the weeks leading up to his death, Jackson told her he had been involved in a fight with teens from his school. Police informed her that DNA evidence was found under his nails, indicating a scuffle, but it produced no matches. Did your brother have any beef with anybody? Just the fight he told her about. Who had he hung out with recently? Some friends from high school? Did he ever express concerns about anyone? No. But as the pandemic worsened and the homicide toll rose, the calls became less frequent. Sometime last summer, they stopped. Her brother's killing has been turned over to the cold case unit. It's among the 42% of 2020 cases that remain unsolved. She feels like the police are no longer invested in her brother's case. I feel like they don't care. I feel like that is just another Black young man, probably at the wrong place at the wrong time. And they feel like, well, you know, maybe where was the parents at? Or why was he out this late? Or 
what could possibly have led up to him doing something, probably thinking he was a drug dealer and got caught up in something. Whether he was doing those things, he's still a human being. You know, I feel like if it was a dog, cat, whatever, I feel like they would probably be on that more than it is a young black man. Martin, who works as an in-home nurse, carries a stack of flyers offering a $1,000 reward to anyone who can help solve the case, taping them to light poles in the neighborhood. Had I not been calling every day like I did, I wouldn't even know that it was a new detective on his case. It's just, it, it has me questioning why they not fighting so hard to make sure that the case gets solved. It's going to be two years in March that he's been gone, and yet we still don't have no leads, we still don't have no answers, no nothing. I think sometimes they pick and choose who cases they really want to do. In the year since her brother's death, Martin says she's worried about the safety of her two young children. I'm raising my kids, like I say, the best of my ability. I don't want to keep them cooped up in the house. I try not to deprive them of their fun. But at the same time, where is it to be safe at? Sometimes she thinks about moving somewhere else, but says it's difficult to leave Milwaukee. I'm afraid to move because my mom's still here, my grandparents are still here. So it's just like if I move somewhere else, that would be a whole different type of situation for me to have to actually adjust to. And at the end of the day, Martin says she still has a job to do, finding justice for her brother. I just want justice for him, and I'm not. I feel like I'm not gonna stop until I get it. I feel like it it needs to be something that will heal my mama's heart. It may not bring her son back, but at least she has some type of closure. Over the years, I've done several stories on gun violence in America. A story about Black men in a busy Detroit emergency room trying to halt a cycle of deadly shootings. Another about a pastor in New Orleans who kept a detailed list of the young men killed in the city. At times, while I'm reporting and speaking to parents grieving the loss of a child, I feel deep sadness. Oftentimes, the victim was a young Black man just like myself. Reporting on the increased homicides in Milwaukee was no different. The sounds of Pastor Tipton at Jeremiah Hughes' funeral. Jalissa Martin talking about the loss of her brother. As I was leaving Milwaukee, I felt a profound sadness knowing that the stories people shared with me could be replicated all across the country. There are a lot of young brothers losing their lives each day in America, and at times, I wonder and ask, does anyone really care? Then I thought about Michelle Pitts, the funeral home director who I had met twice. The first time when COVID-19 had ravaged the North Side, and the second time for this story. Her resilience will always stay with me. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Next week, a large oil spill has already profoundly affected the coast in Orange County, California. What caused it and what national repercussions may it have? 
Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Ashley Brown, Melissa Kaplan, and Marina Peña. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb, and our theme music is by Andrew Ethan. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back Monday with all the news in this madre. Gracias.